This is Board Games, a reading series about extremely boring games. One short, yet tedious episode after the other. My name is Sarah. Episode 4, History of Boredom. Language. The reason for lack of coherency in the definition of boredom trace back centuries to the first use of the word. Long before natural science attempted to uncover the mysteries of boredom, philosophers and artists alike were concerned with the subject. General observations on experiences of boredom were made at least as far back as the ancient Greeks under the term archidia, meaning tedium. Archidi dominated the English language of boredom in literature up until the 14th century. Before that, creative descriptions like dryness of the soul or complete paralysis of the will could also cover what we would describe as the experience of being bored. Ennui, which is still used in present day in the English language, is thought to be used to describe boredom and it appeared in the 12th century France, deriving from the Latin enodier, or hatred of life itself, where it was a large theme in French literature. It is still today a common French word for boredom. The English word bore, as a metaphor of a person being boring, first appeared in 1766, recorded in an exchange of aristocratic letters written from the year 1766, it is a presumed metaphor of the verb boring, to drill a hole, which peace dwells on and speaks of how a boring man, whose tedious speech metaphorically pierces a hole in the listener who is left hollow. The letters did involve complaining about a person being the bore. In another interpretation, Patricia N. Myers-Bax from University of Chicago observed the nature of drilling holes as repetitive circular motions so that the boring part is being the one using the bore. Boredom, the phenomenon as an English noun of the experience, was first registered in writing in the work Bleak House from 1852 by Charles Dickens. Boredom's first entry in the Oxford English Dictionary is in the form of a bored woman, Lady Dedlock, who suffered from a, quote, chronic melody of boredom, end quote, sighing and yawning on page 573. Unhelpfully, the Oxford English Dictionary defines boredom as the state of being bored. To be bored, introduced in 1823, is to be wearied and suffering from ennui. From sin to high-class problem. Whereas Voltaire in 1764 claimed that ennui was, quote, the worst of all conditions, end quote, opinions on the experience had changed in history before that. Martinet L. describes a shift in perception of boredom from a high-profile primary sin in Christian contexts in the early Middle Ages to being virtually a signal of sophistication in the elite of society. Irvin together with Svensson, highlights the status of boredom, or sloth, as an important, if not the most important sin in Christian contexts, because of its temptation to seek sensation and excitement among especially monks 
and other high-profile Christians. Being bored was a sign that the devil himself was reaching good Christians and tempted them into evil doings. Boredom, ennui at the time, would later be characterized as a, quote, spiritual distress and trivial nuisance of court life by La Rochefoucauld, who described himself as a, quote, connoisseur of boredom, end quote, as he spent most of his time in a state of ennui at the court of Vassay. Modern philosophy and boredom as enlightenment. The link between ennui and boredom, and whether or not they are different from each other, will be discussed later in this paper when discussing boredom as either modern phenomenon or natural state, but for now we must note that the English word boredom is from modern times. Boredom reached a high point in literary contemplation in the 19th century, where the list of writers who grappled with the phenomenon is impressive, including Baudelaire, Byron, Durkheim, Kierkegaard, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Nietzsche, Schopenhauer, Strindberg, Ibsen, Chateaubriand, Flaubert, and Verlaine. Søren Kierkegaard is a notable figure in the history of boredom with his writing on boredom in Either War from 1843, where he explains his viewpoint on boredom being, quote, the root to all evil, end quote. Martin et al. believes that Kierkegaard's opinion on boredom as the root of all evil is a good sample of the collected attitude from the former mentioned writers. Voltaire claimed in 1764 that ennui was, quote, the worst of all conditions, end quote, indeed serving as another example of a very negative notion on the bored experience. I would like to highlight Kierkegaard in regards to who it is that is bored and who it is that is boring, the person of rank, quote, those who bore others are the plebeians, the crowd, the endless train of humanity in general. Those who bore themselves are the chosen ones, the nobility, end quote. This is being supported in cultural context and commented on by Svensson, who says, quote, There are probably many people today who would feel flattered by this description, since most people see themselves as being incredibly amusing and interesting, while one is bored out of one's wits by everything else. But perhaps we can read Kierkegaard's remark in a slightly different way. Boredom presupposes an element of self-reflection or contemplation regarding one's own placement in the world, which calls for time. And this time was normally not something the common people had access to in Kierkegaard's day." End quote. Kierkegaard speaks of the demonic boredom that the reflective aesthet suffers from as he in either or speaks of the trivial pleasures that only interest the trivial people, also found in higher classes. He emphasizes that boredom is a type of mood related to melancholy, and so, for Kierkegaard, boredom comes with the territory of deep self-reflection and is a pervasive state. He also highlights a relationship between the busy modern life and the empty feeling of boredom, though he does relate the phenomenon to a type of boredom that has always existed, 
For example, by speculating on how God ultimately created Adam out of boredom, and how Eve was made out of Adam's boredom. Kierkegaard believed that boredom has always been there for people and gods to flee from. In opposition to Søren Kierkegaard, who saw how a remedy from boredom could be focusing back on God by prayer and meditative deep focus despite the selfishness, secularity, busyness, superficial distractions and gossip of modern times, we find the existentialists who later come to dethrone God. Atheism might have resulted in even more boredom or a new sort of existential dread. Both Albert Camus and Franz Kafka demonstrated how utterly indifferent they were through characters who simply wandered aimlessly around the world, derived from meaning. Jean-Paul Sartre spoke of being nauseous with boredom and described it as a leprosy of the soul. Boredom becoming the menée of the Enlightenment did not only become possible, but inevitable because of the lost faith in God, according to Kuhn, author of The Demon of Noontide, Ennui in Western Literature. The following existentialist focus on boredom in literature and philosophy is concerned with meaning, or the terrible lack hereof. Quote, Existentialism typically claims that only individual life has value and can create values, but precisely because these values are left entirely to the individual to determine, they're completely arbitrary. From an existentialist point of view, an existence that does not primarily confirm itself and its own existence would be virtually valueless. End quote. Note how modern philosophy, Western philosophy, and the Enlightenment it brought, be it ideas of individualism or the rejection of a divine god, was associated with a specific type of existential boredom. Being an enlightened modern philosopher, poet, meant that one had to face the world as meaningless and tedious, whereas others would continue their lives blissfully ignorant, but ignorant nonetheless. Women and Boredom as Oppression Alison Peace wrote an entire book on modernism, feminism, and the culture of boredom, and critically connected gender discourse and notions of boredom. She questions a divide in perceived boredom proneness and boredom type between men and women in the late 19th and early 20th century. She notes how there was a gender divide in which literature portrayed experienced boredom. Men suffered from existential ennui and the torments of the educated knowledge that there is no God, while women were merely bored in the simple and almost spoiled way which children can be. She discusses, too, a different type of gender-specific struggle, not as manipulated narratives by authors of the late 19th century, but more as a result of oppression and gendered circumstances, as she describes the illness of neurasthenia. As written in the Oxford English Dictionary from 1976, Abnormal Psychology article, Peace cites, quote, Neurasthenia is observed with such frequency in housewives who are bored and feel neglected by their husbands that it has often been called the housewife's neurosis, end quote. 
The suffering of said women is portrayed in arts and literature alike in great numbers. One can easily remember paintings of women portrayed in tedious or somewhat familiar, non-exciting situations, lounging lazily on furniture, gazing almost sadly into the empty air in front of them, uninspired and without means to ever escape. Tuhi spends time dwelling on paintings such as Edgar Degas' depiction of women in everyday scenarios, focusing on their specific experiences of boredom, washing, cleaning, and cooking their lives away. Continuing on the theme of boredom as a sign of gendered oppression, Peace somewhat pins down the frustration as a lack of selfhood and a lack of satisfaction that reminds me of the existential loss of meaning, except for Peace and in her writings, the loss of control and meaning was found in structural power relationships. Peace maps out a school of critical and feminist literature that, after understanding women's boredom as a symptom of oppression, saw novelty and movement as a remedy, cultivating sexual liberation in women as an example. Almost similar to Kierkegaard and Pascal, these women writers saw hedonism as a cure against boredom, but also a strong protest to those causing it. Lars Svensson remarks how Nietzsche implies that men get more bored because women have never learned to work properly, stressing his disagreement with the existential author's quote, more than dubious form of justification, end quote. Constructed boredom. I note how the experience of boredom has stayed somewhat consistent throughout the history of boredom, but it has changed meaning or values in accordance with culture and so, it is hard to pinpoint its origin or impact on the bored person. I have mentioned a couple of examples of valuing and creating meaning around boredom in the time, from the Middle Ages and the fixation of boredom as sin, the virtuous boredom of courtship and German bourgeoisie, existentialist philosophers' idea of boredom as a result of enlightenment, and feminist theory and boredom as a result of oppression. It follows the constructivist approach of this study, as it emphasizes the less essentialist approach to boredom as a constant, as solely a matter of nature and biology, and deserves to be highlighted, because I will later discuss the history of boredom in relation to games as a cultural phenomenon of experience. I will later discuss the history of boredom in relation to games, as I will approach a number of abusive games in their historical context, because I find that the history of boredom is important to have in mind in the research of ideas, phenomena, and affections, and how these relate. Be exactly.